1: Profit First Nation is the podcast for intelligent entrepreneurs who have taken ownership of their financials and leveraged Profit First as a cash management system to make their businesses permanently profitable. I am Danielle Mulvey, an expert at guiding entrepreneurs in owning their financials in as little as 11 minutes per day. If you are a fan of Profit First and its author, Mike Michalowicz, you have found your tribe. We are a nation of successful entrepreneurs driven to be permanently profitable with a grit and a growth mindset that lets no obstacle stand in our way in pursuit of the three P's, passion, profit, and play. On Profit First Nation, we dive into advanced profit-first strategies, and we share the honest and authentic ups and downs of being a business owner. Most episodes of the podcast also feature segments with the world's most prolific author on entrepreneurship, the author of Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, Surge, Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, Clockwork, and his newest book, Fix This Next, Mike Michalowicz. On today's episode, we talk about the how and why you can achieve predictable cash in your income account. This is the Profit First Nation podcast, after all, and one secret to getting Profit First right and making it work for you and your business is to make sure that your income account is flush with the predictable cash you need in that account to make your allocations work beautifully and according to plan on your allocation days. Warning, you probably already noticed that this episode during the download is a longer episode, but it's because we unpack some consumer psychology and client behavior that you can leverage To make Profit First work for you and your business. The most eye-opening aspect to me since I became a certified mastery level Profit First professional in 2017 is that while the steps to doing Profit First seem relatively easy to follow, that easy part is only 10 or 20%. Your success in doing Profit First right is to master all of the behaviors and psychology that account for the balance or the 80 to 90% of your success with Profit First and really any other financial-related activity. 10% of money and finance, whether it's personal or business, is logical, and 90% is behavioral and emotional. If you feel constrained by following a budget, that is your emotion driving a good 90% of your reasoning to not follow a budget. Your emotions and feelings will get the best of you and will often lose to the logical and practical side because the logical side only represents 10% of the fight. Here's another example of how emotion and behavior win over logic. Take, for example, 90 days same as cash or one year no interest deals and incentives. They are designed to get you to buy more than you would buy normally if you were paying with cash right then. But did you know that 88% of the 90 days same as cash contracts convert to payments that charge on average 24% APR and also typically have penalties for early payments? 88% of these 90 days, same-as-cash contracts don't get paid within 90 days. Our emotions and feelings drive our financial habits. Sure, we think we'll pay it in 90 days, but 88% don't. This classic example illustrates perfectly how emotion and behavior, not logic, impact Finances and accounting in our world. This is the seed we need to plant here at the beginning of this episode. So, on today's episode, we want to explore the topic but keep our eye on the prize. Let's focus on the results we want to achieve as the culmination of this episode. You want and need predictable cash coming into your business to fill your income account ahead of your designated allocation days. When you have larger sums of money coming into your business and lesser amounts going out of your business, what stays in your business is profit, that cold, hard cash sitting in your profit hold and tax hold accounts at your inconvenient bank. Mike, why don't you help us dive deeper into this?
0: Yeah, yeah. So cash flow is affected by two um, spigots, if you will, or two dials. We can ramp up the inflow of cash and control the outflow of cash, and that's how you capture more cash. So in this recession, that's what we need to do is make sure we're full throttle on the inflow. One big behavioral component to be aware of around cash flow is the borrower lender matrix. So how you look at this is if you draw a, um, a grid you know there's one vertical axis, one horizontal axis kind of like a timeline, maybe it's not considered a grid, but a timeline mapping. And the vertical axis represents this concept of obligation. I'll explain that more in a second. The the horizontal axis represents time. And what you do is you draw an X on that, starting at the most left side of where time starts, and draw one line the very bottom left corner going up. And that's the sense of obligation, an increasing sense of obligation from what's called the lender. Now, conversely, you start at a high point on the left side, the beginning of time, and over time, you draw that line going down, so it crosses over the lender obligation, and it goes all the way to zero. That's the borrower obligation. So over time, a borrower's sense of obligation decreases, yet over time, a lender's sense of obligation increases. Well, this is how it works. Say, Danielle, you lend me like $100. I'm I mean, like, hey, Danielle, I'm, I'm in the spot here. I need 100 bucks to, to pick something up at the store. Uh, I don't have any money on me. Can you give me a hundred bucks? I'll pay you back in a couple of days. If you choose to say, yes, you are now the lender and I am the borrower. In that moment, when you hand that hundred dollars to me, me, the borrower has a heightened sense of obligation, gratitude. You know, thank you so much. I need the hundred dollars. You saved my life. You know, I'll say all those platitudes. You, the lender, have a low sense of obligation. Like it's not a problem. Just pay me back in a couple of days when you can. Uh, happy I can help you out. But over time, me, the borrower, the sense of obligation starts to decrease. So I get whatever I need at the store. And the next day, I'm like, oh, yeah, Daniel, 100 bucks. But I got other problems I got to worry about. Now a day or two passes by. I'm like, ah, forget it. A week or two, I'm not paying you back. You, though, the lender, after a day or two, like, what's my, is my not paying me back? He said he would. What's wrong with him? And then over time, you're like, it's been a month now. This guy's a jerk. He stole from me, effectively. So as time progresses, the lender has a heightened sense of obligation to get that money back to them, and the borrower has a decrease. The danger is that crossover point. If you're listening to this, you are a vendor. You're a client too, a borrower at times, I'm sure, but you're a a lender. If you give terms to your clients, if you give installment plans, if you give net 30, any of those things, those are all saying, we'll give you something now you don't have to return it until a future point. Problem is, it's a future point. And the borrower, your client, has received benefit already. So they've received benefit immediately without the obligation to pay, which means their sense of obligation is going to start decreasing very quickly over time. In a recession like we're experiencing now, there's heightened pressure on the borrower for them to sustain. So I I take that $100 from you I got to get food on the table tomorrow, Danielle, so thanks for your $100 yesterday, but it don't matter anymore. I need to take care of today's obligations and borrow more money or or get a job that, that can support more money coming in. I'm not worried about you. And that's a problem for us because then now you can't put food on your table because I have your money. So what we need to do is keep the sense of obligation heightened for the borrower. So if you give terms or any of those pieces where, or if you're in a situation right now that a client owes you in some capacity... You must put them in a heightened obligation sense. The way not to do it is through traditional collections, like you owe me money, you owe me money, you owe me money. To them, it feels like trying to squeeze blood from a stone, and maybe it is. There's another approach I actually have on this checklist too. I call it the what can you afford approach. And this works in complement with the understanding of the borrower-lender matrix. So I had a client um, who was owed, they developed software. This is a long time ago. They were owed $25,000 from a company that they developed software for. The company said they couldn't afford the $25,000. And my client had spent over a year now trying to collect this money and we're about to write off that debt. They were really far out on this lender-borrower obligation matrix. So what I did was I simply used the what can you afford technique. I called that end client and said, listen, I know you was $25,000, but what can you afford? And the response predictably was, we don't know. And I simply started off with the lowest denominator. I said, can you afford to pay us a dollar a week? And that's laughable. They said, of course. They said, well, what about $10 a week? Would that put you in a bind? No, no, we can afford $10 a week. And we continued that process until we settled on around $250 a week. They can afford to pay us $250 a week and it wouldn't put them in a dire way. It wouldn't put them in a dire position. But what I cared about was not the money so much as retaining the of obligation. Once they're starting to write checks out to me, the obligation has returned. So they wrote that check for $250 to my client. And next week they sent one for $250. And we, we thanked them. And they sent one again for $250 the week after. And the week after that, a big check came in. I think it was like $3,000. We, we thanked them. We said, hey, why'd you pay the $3,000? They said, well, we know we owe you $25,000. We had a big deposit come in today. So we just wanted to chip away at this faster. That's why we sent you the $3,000. They paid back the entire debt within a year when it was considered hopeless or should be written off because we heightened their obligation and not out of threat. Like we're going to send a collections company after you or something which caused conflict. It was by working with them. That's a really powerful way to navigate the borrower lender matrix to your favor.
1: We actually have a graphic of the borrower lender matrix on our website at profitfirstnation.com. Click resources from the menu tab and you will get access to this graphic there. The borrower lender matrix serves as motivation for business owners in two ways. The first is in the traditional sense of putting yourself in the role of the borrower. Your company has lines of credit or you have outstanding bills to pay according to the terms prescribed by the lender. And the second way to look at this is by putting your customers and essentially the value of your accounts receivables in the role of the borrower, while you and your company who is owed the money from your clients is in the role of the lender. Let's talk about when you, the business owner, is the borrower. First, we will tackle the traditional debt obligations where a bank is the lender. Maybe you have an outstanding line of credit or use credit cards in your business. Be weary of time. When you tapped into that line of credit, I'm sure you intended for it to be a quick use of those funds and that you would, quote, put the money back, unquote, within 30 or 60 days when you were going to be paid by a client. Well, funny thing, that intention was, so last year or maybe three years ago? Yes, you got paid by that client that you were going to use the proceeds from to pay off that line of credit, But then something else came up, and the interest rate on the line of credit is relatively modest, so you decided to keep those funds in play in your business and not pay the bank back. You just make payments. So a year later, here you are. You've been servicing debt for a year, and that initial line of credit of $150,000 is still a big liability on your balance sheet, and all the interest you have paid over the year on it is an expense on your income statement. And that interest expense, that could have been profit. You have not gotten ahead. You thought you were leveraging debt, but in reality, you're deeper in debt. We were the poster children. Like the statistics predict, 88% of 90 days same as cash becomes an emotional versus logical lopsided conundrum and further illustrates the borrower-lender matrix. How do I know? Because we were there. Our business coach at the time encouraged us to get a line of credit because, as everyone always points out, you get a line of credit when you don't need it, because it's much easier to get it when you don't need it than when you're desperate for it. So it seemed to make sense. And being a material supplier, we figured it'd be smart if there was an opportunity to leverage some debt if we came across something that would afford us more margin. Guess what? Within 90 days of having this $150,000 line of credit... We used it for a, quote, debt leverage opportunity, unquote, and the intention was to float it for 60 days, and we would double our normal margin. Strategically sound on paper, but we failed on the execution. Our logic lost to our emotions. This was years ago, and while I did a little digging to refresh myself on the facts to share with you now... The sad truth is we failed at the debt leverage. Instead of doubling our margin, we ended up paying interest over four years. Embarrassing and another idiot share on my part. What happened? The debt was clear as day on our balance sheet. We had excuses for a while as to why we should just keep servicing it. And then as the borrower-lender matrix predicts and forecasts, we just kind of got comfortable with it over time and our motivation to pay it off got buried real deep. To be honest, our initial plan to pay off the line of credit in 60 days was a flimsy plan. We really should have never taken the line of credit. We should have used our own cash. It was not until we implemented Profit First in 2017 that we had a solid, actionable plan to pay off this stupid line of credit. Debt eradication is the first thing to fix or address when you have such liabilities on your balance sheet. With our quarterly profit first profit distributions, we put 99% of the balance from our profit hold account and we paid off the principal debt. Wow, it was that simple. Our profit hold money had real intention And we had an actionable plan with a timeline instead of a wish or wishful thinking the line of credit would get paid off. We eradicated our debt with a simple, actionable plan. Take 99% of our profit hold account at the end of the quarter and apply it to our debt. Once we implemented profit first right, our debt was gone in a flash instead of painfully lingering collecting dust in the liability section of our financials. Our emotions changed when we implemented Profit First. We wanted to get it right and we wanted to maximize our profitability. And one way to do that was for us to channel the power of stupidity. We paid how much in interest? For how long? Because we were a bit nonchalant about the interest expense on our income statement and the outstanding debt liability on our balance sheet. Time got the best of us as the borrower-lender matrix illustrates. The logic was always there, but we rechanneled our emotions. We didn't want to be idiots anymore and have this outstanding liability on our balance sheet. It was our feelings and our emotions of feeling like idiots that drove us to take action on this debt. Listen, if you're not a whiz with reading your financial statements right at this moment, that's okay. We will work on that and myself and Fellow Profit First Professionals will help you with the heart of a teacher because only you can truly own the financials of the company you own. Your accountant and or bookkeeper cannot, do not, and should not own your financials. Philosophically and legally, they are not responsible. And as the owner, you should never, ever assume you can pass the baton of owning your financials to anyone else. Yes, it can be very tempting when someone offers to take something tedious and burdensome off your plate. Yes, hire someone to handle the bookkeeping portion of your financials. The day-to-day posting of debits and credits, general journal entries, reconciling your accounts, that should be done by a proven, tested accounting professional. Monthly, your bookkeeper and or accountant should review your financials with you and have the heart of a teacher to make sure you understand your financials. As the business owner, you are ultimately the owner of your financials. Let's be real here. When you get your reconciled financials at the minimum, an income statement, also commonly referred to as a profit and loss report, and your balance sheet on a monthly basis, you absolutely must review them. But there is nothing you can do with changing the past. You are probably halfway through the next month when you receive your prior month's financial reporting. Your financial reporting is the rear view look into your financials. When you get June's income statement and balance sheet, there is nothing you can do to change it. It's history, it's in the books and closed. Seriously, make sure you are formally closing each month in your accounting system. If you do not close your prior month in your accounting system, The integrity of your financials is out the window. Again, you cannot erase history or edit history or alter it. What is done is done. Our part time controller closes our books at the end of each month after the month has been reconciled. I have the password. Our financial records are locked to ensure a keystroke error is not going to post an expense in 2015 because the system won't allow it because it has been closed. Please make sure your accountant and bookkeeper are closing your months. If they are not, this is a red flag that you do not have an A player, bookkeeper or accountant. What is an A player, bookkeeper or accountant, you ask? I use the term A player as defined by Brad Smart in his book, Top Grading. An A player represents the top 10% of available talent in the marketplace for the job at a given salary. An A player represents the top 10% of available talent in the marketplace for the job at a given salary. You don't pay A players more than B players or C players. They all earn the same. They're just the top 10% of available talent at a given salary. We will dive deeper into A player bookkeepers in future episodes, but trust me, on this podcast, One thing I promise to deliver is confidence to own the financials of the business you own. Listen, I know that facing your financials is not fun. Looking in the rear view at how your company performed can be painful. Did we suck wind? Do I really have to look at what I know was bad? Yes, you do, my entrepreneurial friend, but we have got your back. Pull your head out of the sand and face the reality. I know you want to sleep well at night. You want what Dave Ramsey has perfectly coined financial peace. Here's a funny piece of trivia related to entrepreneurship and marketing. Dave Ramsey's initial personal finance program was called Life After Death. In his first attempt to sell his financial group coaching program, he had three prospects in the room and sold two. I mean, what a crazy name, Life After Death? A bit morbid sounding, but also poignant. You can rise above and resurrect new life into your finances. And because you are here on Profit First Nation, a podcast for business owners with a growth mindset and grit, you can resurrect your business as well and take it to new profitable heights. Did Dave Ramsey give up when so few were attracted to his financial group coaching program called Life After Death? No. And neither are you. You will get this figured out and you will get this right. When you face and embrace your financials and leverage profit first as your cash management system, you will achieve financial peace in your business and your life. I remember sleepless nights, they suck. I remember carrying day in and day out stress and praying that we would be able to make payroll that week. The pain is real. And they are horrible feelings that I never want to deal with again. Even prepping for this episode and thinking about those times is making me feel a bit stressed again because I'm thinking of my fellow entrepreneurs who are in this state right now. I really feel your pain and I wish this level of stress on no one. That is a big reason why I'm such a fan and super geek about Profit First. My husband and I rechanneled our emotion of being sick and tired, but really it was stressed and exhausted, and let those emotions drive our behavioral changes in the business. I had tried the logical path and got nowhere with my husband. His logic was different than mine because he's the sales side and I'm the back office operations side of the business. Logic was not going to fix the business. It was our emotions and our feelings and reality, our marriage on tenuous grounds that helped us drive the behavioral changes in implementing profit first. Let's be honest, when we don't face our financials, we're not at peace because while we think by ignoring our financials, we lessen the stress, the numbers are not going to get better when we ignore them. Magic is not going to intervene and reverse course. We are not on a ghost ship. You have to captain your own ship. Do you want to sink or do you want to sail? What is your feeling? Not the logic. Your accountant and or bookkeeper is the first steward on your ship, the chief of posting and reconciling your accounts of your business's prior month. Again, you cannot rewrite history. If you didn't make enough or you spent too much, you cannot fudge those numbers. But that is valuable information to use to help you drive the here and now. Your bookkeeper and or accountant is not the captain. You, my entrepreneurial friend, are the captain. You have to drive the future financial success of your business. Your financials tell you how much harder you have to drive and what you need to fix so you do not sink your ship. Humor me and I will try to reciprocate on this captain of your ship analogy. Your financials will identify the holes in your ship that you need to pay attention to. They will tell you what needs to be filled. Small leaks now that are ignored and not addressed can and will eventually sink your ship. Yes, this is somewhat of an analogy, but it's also a true story. In March 2020, a tall ship in Dana Point, California, where we live, slowly sank in the harbor. The ship was called the Pilgrim, and it was a key part of its owner's livelihood. The owner, the Ocean Institute, used the Pilgrim as part of its field trip programming, which people paid to do these field trips, and was a key visitor attraction. They knew about the small leak, but they didn't shore it up when they should have. And enough water literally sank the ship and it was deemed unsalvageable. To make this story more poignant to the analogy of your business as your ship, the Ocean Institute put off the -the out-of-the-water inspection that had been planned for January 2020 what's a few months well a small leak plus a few months of delay and by march 2020 their most valuable attraction was sunk when you do not inspect your reconciled financials every single month you run the risk of letting the small holes where expenses are seeping out of your business you leave room for it to wreak havoc don't think you can start it next month or next quarter The pilgrim sunk and so will your business if you ignore reviewing and identifying the opportunities to fix the leaks in your financials. When you do Profit First Right, you stay on a proven path to profitability. Profit First Done Right helps you keep your business sailing. It gives the cash in your business purpose. It gives it intention and it identifies what you need to work on to build profitability. Your financials may not be pretty at the moment. You may have a number of liabilities that represent debt that your business is on the hook for. Don't let time slip away like the borrower-lender matrix illustrates. Let's face this debt and attack it. Your profits will help you attack the debt, the liabilities on your balance sheet. But you have to review your balance sheet to verify that the debt is not growing and you understand that when you have debt, Profit First will help you attack the debt. At the end of each quarter, when it's time to do your profit distributions from your profit hold account, if you have debt, 99% of your profit hold balance goes to pay off the debt and 1% is used to celebrate. If you start today facing and owning your financials of the company you own. And start to understand the debt on your balance sheet, you will start making progress much faster than the majority of entrepreneurs who have their head in the sand when it comes to their financials. You are not an ostrich with their head in the sand. You are a captain, and your ship is not going to sink. Channel your emotions and feelings. Go from a scared ostrich who's stressed and buries their head in the sand and be done with feeling like a scared ostrich and re-channel your feeling and emotions into becoming the captain of your ship, owning it, adjusting it, but always tacking towards your ultimate destination. Do you see yourself as the scared, clueless ostrich? Is that how you want to feel? Or do you want to feel in control? The choice is yours, my entrepreneurial friend. We are going to insert dramatic pause here, take a breath, inhale it in, exhale it out. One more time. Let's take a deep breath in and exhale it out. And now let's look at the other side. The flip side of the borrower lender matrix is when you are positioned as the lender and your customer is the borrower. Your accounts receivables on your balance sheet are assets and show you what is owed to you. It is very important to have cash in your business and positive cash flow is ideal. When you do not proactively manage your accounts receivables, your customer, the borrower who owes you money according to their outstanding invoice, when given the luxury of time, they will take their sweet time to further delay paying you. The companies with the healthiest cash flow, hands down, proactively manage their accounts receivables. They do not become forgotten by their customers. Most businesses are not flush with cash. Use this knowledge to your strategic advantage. You know that 83% of small businesses operate check to check, which means most likely 8 out of every 10 of your customers are operating check to check. Your customers are not sitting on a pile of cash. They are getting paid themselves and then using that money to pay their payables, which could include you. Their cash is tenuous, so make sure you are politely and kindly positioned on the top of their payables priority list. Get ahead of the game. Be the first to be paid on time. If you let time lapse, your customer's sense of urgency to pay you will wane. Other people will get paid ahead of you. Is it fair? Nope, but it's the reality. Are you going to be nice when you proactively manage your accounts receivables? Of course, you are ahead of the game. You are just being kind, thoughtful, and deliberate to remind your customers to make good on what they promised to pay you for, the goods and services you already delivered. And don't people want to be served by nice, kind, and thoughtful businesses? Stay ahead of the collection's game with your customers, and you will be rewarded for your efforts. It's when time gets the best of both the borrower, your customer, and the lender, you. When your client's invoices become past due, that's when you both have a problem. Your customer's problem is they don't have the money to pay you, And your problem is you are expecting their payment to keep your cash flow positive. Best case scenario, we want predictable balances in our income account. You need steady money depositing to your income account ahead of your designated allocation day. Here are some best practice tips and ideas for keeping your outstanding invoices in the priority to be paid pile of your customers. Number one. Send accounts receivables statements to your customers. The accounts receivable statements are documents that itemize all invoices, payments, and credits created during a specific time period, and whose intention is to remind the account holder of their account status. In our experience, only about 20% of our vendors, the people who we buy from, send us regular statements. Our practice in our material supply business is to send statements on the 20th of the month to all of our customers. And we make sure more than one individual on the client side is receiving the accounts receivable statements. The more individuals aware of the upcoming balance due, the more likely we are to be prioritized and paid on time according to terms. Number two, Be gracious and kind in your reminders to your customers when you proactively communicate to them that their accounts are just a few days away from being past due. Proactively thank your customer for sending their payment ahead of the due date. Be very clear and delightful in your expectations. Emails that end with a genuine expression of gratitude can dramatically increase the likelihood of getting a reply. In fact, according to a recent article from Inc. Magazine Online, closing with an expression of gratitude correlated with a whopping 36% relative increase in average response rate compared to signing off with a standard regards or sincerely. Thank your clients and you will position yourself on getting paid on time. Number three, review your accounts receivables aging report at least weekly. Every week, on the same day, and at the same time, without fail, of course, to ensure you are proactively minimizing past due occurrences. Your review should take just a couple of minutes to pinpoint those accounts teetering on or past their accounts receivable due date. Make an appointment with yourself or your team to do this review like it's an appointment on your calendar. Our review happens on Thursdays right after our morning huddle and it takes just a couple of minutes. Number four, delegate collections. Now, while number three of reviewing the aging report takes just a couple of minutes on my part because our in-house bookkeeper handles our collections, and since she knows I review the report she provides every week, which is just a standard report like click and print from our system, she has already done her part of staying on top of our accounts receivables because there is the accountability built in since we review it weekly. She knows the benchmark we are measuring against. Our past due threshold is 6%. You'll never have 100% because you don't have divine power, but we have gotten to 6% as our standard benchmark because of these collective best practices. Number five, make friends in your customers' accounting departments. Typically, the accounts payables personnel in your customers' departments spend their days between a rock and a hard place. These individuals are likely not the owners and really don't have control over the cash, but they do have influence. Make them your friends. Be especially kind to them. They have this job at their employer to feed their families and put a roof over their heads. Understand their feelings. They spend their days between a rock and a hard place. Our back office teams of our contracts department and accounting department make a semi-annual habit of sendi- sending handwritten notes with $25 gift cards as a token of our appreciation to their back office contacts at our customers' and vendors' offices. Twice a year, I challenged my team to come up with a list of 5 to 10 individuals on our customer side or vendor side who we would like to make their day because the back office teams rarely get the accolades. And of course, our team also has the authority and resources in the form of on-hand gift cards to drop a handwritten note with a $25 gift card to a contact who deserves the kudos or could use an unexpected treat. This is not the one reason why we are at 6% accounts receivable aging, but it's part of the sum, which leads us straight into number six. This should be number one on the list, but... We saved the best for last. Figure out your percentage of aging over period and make that your current goal to focus on. For example, if 50% of your total aging measured in total dollars outstanding is over 30 days and your terms are 30 days, then let's set a goal of getting that percentage down to 40% over the next 30 days. When you hit 40%, then celebrate and set a new goal of 30%. When you hit that marker, celebrate, then set a new marker of 20% and so on. In our business, Supply Patriot, which is in the paid when paid zone and supported by Mechanics Lean Law, our over-aging benchmark is 6%. And it's been this way for I don't know how long because we have done all of the previously mentioned best practices for as long as I can remember. And here is one more bonus best practice. If you have a crappy client who is just always painfully late in paying or worse, totally unresponsive to payment status updates, then they are what we call a no bueno client. And it's time to say adios to them. Better yet, replace them with two or three bueno clients. Because one bad client sucks the time and energy out of you and your team. rechannel that energy to serving three great new clients instead. As we bring this episode to a close, don't worry. We have your back, my entrepreneurial friend. In addition to the borrower-lender matrix graphic, we also have put together an accounts receivables best practice checklist as an additional resource you can download from our website ProfitFirstNation.com under the resources tab. Don't forget, we also have the show notes and full episode transcription available on our website as well under the episode section. Finally, I don't do all of this alone. I have a team, both internal and external. I find people to do what I'm not good at and people who can do it better than I could do it myself. If you would like to work directly with a certified Profit First professional accountant, bookkeeper, or coach, then go to ProfitFirstNation.com and click on contact where you will be able to connect with a certified Profit First professional. Thank you for your support of the podcast. We are growing Profit First Nation quickly. I am truly humbled by the emails and messages I've been receiving from you. If you would like to help other entrepreneurs find this podcast, the best way for us to go up in the rankings is in the form of five-star reviews. I kindly and humbly ask that you write a five-star review for Profit First Nation on your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much and cheers to another profitable day, my entrepreneurial friend. First Nations website, social media accounts, and related podcasts are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Visitors should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or
0: other professional.